First Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, we're approaching the end of this letter, and we'll begin the second letter to the Thessalonians uh, immediately after this, and uh, I'm looking forward to continuing in this vein. Uh, as we look at this text today, I want us to just be encouraged as the body of Christ. I want us to see uh, our role as members of the body of Christ, how we are to live together uh, as people of God, and how we are, to... we are to shape, create, and maintain community among us. That is to be together. That's the term that Paul used in 1 Corinthians, to come together. Uh, we are the body of Christ, and we come together once a week uh, to worship, to gather, to encourage one another, to praise the Lord, uh, to receive instruction. Uh, we do that at this time once a week, uh, but I want you to know it's, uh, that's not all there is to being the church. We are a community, we're a body, and we live with one another and together with one another, and we share uh, sorrows and griefs and joys and all these things together as the body of Christ. We don't just know one another here in this place. We know one another beyond this place. And that's how we are supposed to live. We're supposed to live engaged in one another's lives. And so uh, I've entitled this text today, The Community of the Local Church. And I say that specifically, the community of the local church. All right, uh, th That's what Paul is focusing on here. Specifically, the church in Thessalonica. New believers, not very old, uh, in Jesus Christ. And they're still learning. They're navigating very difficult circumstances in their life uh, and we also find that some of them have uh, perhaps been a little bit rebellious or uh, they have continued some practices in their Christian life uh, that should be former practices namely sexual immorality and so forth uh, that uh, leaders have instructed them in they didn't listen and now Paul's kind of covering that ground okay so uh, he's he's wanting them to see the importance of community. Uh, Luke was a physician, but he apparently enjoyed writing history, which is reflected both in the gospel of Luke that he wrote, as well as in the Acts of the Apostles, or the book of Acts, as we call it. It's the New Testament history, if you will. And uh, he uh, was a very good historian, actually, uh, laying out details uh, beautifully that other gospel writers didn't give. Uh, but also, uh, he tells us about the church. And he presents to us very early in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, an ideal for the local church. And he sums it up in one sentence. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were a community of believers. They were together. They were together in heart they were together in mind. They were together in person. All right? Uh, their togetherness was around the truth and the gospel of the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, uh, that he was buried, that he rose again. I mean, they're together in these truths. But they were also together very personally. Uh, they walked with one another and helped one another. If someone had need, Luke tells us, man, the rest of the body came together and helped that need. 
They walked together and they lifted together and they cared for one another and they loved each other. They functioned together. So he, he makes this emphasis twice uh, in the book of Acts, and it is the ideal of the local church. What we know, though, is that this model, this ideal, did not endure. As disagreements arose among the early congregations over food distributions to widows, uh, admitting Gentile believers into the church, eating food that was sacrificed to idols. Do we do that? Do we not do that? And the continuation of Jewish customs and rituals and parts of the ceremonial law. These things began to split and divide the body of Christ. Some believed this, some believed that, and they got to the point where they couldn't focus anymore, and that community began to splinter and shatter. Community in the local church is, it it can be like a game of Jenga. Anybody ever played Jenga? I don't play Jenga. I know about the game. As a matter of fact, it's up in the youth room right now. Jenga is you take 54 blocks and you build a tower. And the key is, is to remove pieces from the bottom, put them on the top, and do it without the tower falling down. Do y'all know what is inevitable in that process? The tower falling down. That goes against my purest nature, okay? Because I don't think it's a good idea to remove the foundation of something and put it on top. That, that, that doesn't go with me, all right? So I don't play the game. I'd be the guy, y'all be poking pieces out, I'd be putting pieces back in. And that's what I mean, is it's like the church. Oftentimes what you have is you have people who want to grow the church big or they want to do these things or they want to do discipleship in this new, uh, uh, I can't think of the term, uh, new way, uh, this uh, real hip way or whatever, you know. And it's just like taking pieces out and putting them on top. Hey, this is the most important thing. That's been going on for several years and even decades where the most important thing is music or the most important thing is this or the most important thing is that. Let me tell you the most important thing in the church, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He is King of kings and He is Lord of lords and He is head of the body of Christ. And you can't put something on top of Him. So I want us to see that that creating... And maintaining community in the body of Christ is not a simple task. But Paul lays out, this is how you do that. This is how that community is created and held together. 
So I want us to see and, and think about in that, in that vein. I want us to see three things. First of all, Paul is going to let us know respect and love your leaders. Respect and love your leaders. We're going to see that in uh, verses 12 and 13. And then we get into verse 14 and we're going to notice uh, that we need to learn to relate well to one another. Relate well to one another, even the different ones. Even people that are different than we are. We need to relate well to them who are in the body of Christ. Thirdly, we're going to notice that he uh, points to us an important thought, and that is that we should raise the standard of response to being hurt. Raise the standard of our response to being hurt. And so those three things I want us to focus on today. First of all, he lets us know respect and love your elders or your leaders. Verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Paul, uh, certainly the context of this is Paul knows that there has been some issues in uh, the Thessalonian church. We went through some of those in chapters 3 and 4. One is that there was uh, the, the issue of sexual immorality, and he instructed them to abstain from that and to live instead to please God. Uh, also in, in chapter 4, we see that there was an issue. He says you need to love one another, exercise brotherly love. He was talking about that and uh, urged them to do that more and more. And so uh, he was telling them this, and he was telling them this for a reason, because there were some who were not listening to the leaders in the church. And so Paul says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. Now, who are these guys? It doesn't say it, but more than likely, uh, based on what the, the, the leaders are doing, these are elders. Uh, elders is an office in the church. We find a description of elders in First uh, Timothy chapter 3, and we find another in Titus chapter 1. Elders, we typically use the term pastor for them. But elders, the uh, presbyteros is the Greek word, and it's uh, oversight, to give oversight. And so we see uh, that these, uh, these leaders, they had some things that they did. They labored among you, they are over you in the Lord, and they admonish you. And so he says, Respect these guys. Listen to it. You're not always going to agree with them. But listen to what they have to say and respect them. And so uh, I, I want us to see that, the, that it's the, the, the way that he's describing these leaders that help us to see, okay, this is the, the office of elder in the New Testament. So what does it mean to labor among you? You know, there's a continuing joke that all vocational ministers find incredibly funny, all right? I mean, we crack up every time we hear it. So please bring it all the time. 
and that is this. You know what? Be a preacher. You only work once a, once a week. You know, we crack up at that. That's so good, all right? But really, what does it mean to lay? What is the labor here? You know, sometimes it's blood, sweat, and tears. Sometimes it's uh, getting out and it's helping someone with a tree or going to someone who has, uh, has an illness or something like that and praying over them and so forth. But for the most part, generally, what we're talking about is guarding the church. That's hard work. You know why? Satan is after it to tear it down. Did y'all hear that? Satan wants to destroy the community of any local body of Christ. Wants to tear it completely to the ground. Labor is what it's called. To work hard at something. To toil. And what we see here is they're guarding the church. Um, much of the labor is prayer. Have you ever labored in prayer for people, for a multitude of people, for the lost, for the broken, for the weary, for the ones who want to give up? Have you ever sat with them and just wept with them who just wanted to end everything? You ever sat with parents who's lost a child? Let me tell you, that's labor. Because you want them to feel the comfort of the Spirit. And you don't have any words. That's labor. They're laboring among you. Speak of Gordon, I speak of Josh. Speak of people that labor and work to care for and to love the body of Christ. They're guarding the church. Much of the, the labor is prayer and study and teaching and correction. At least that last one, most po people never see it. But these are all things that your leaders do. And Paul is saying to them, listen to them. Why? Why? Let me read you a text out of Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. The writer of Hebrews expresses something very similar to what is being expressed here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why should I do that? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's labor. Keeping watch over your soul. Praying, certainly, teaching, training, and when you misstep or when you show, demonstrate a pattern 
of moving away from Christ, hey, man, been missing you. How can I encourage you? Notice that this is the seriousness of the labor. The seriousness of the labor is this. As those who will have to give an account. Those who lead in the church. Those who are pastors, elders. They will give an account to the Lord on how they led. One that you won't give. In this particular vein. And so there's a seriousness to it that those who labor uh, in this take very seriously what we do. Because we love you. Because we love Jesus Christ. So we want to point you to the word of God. So there's this labor. But then there's this other thing. What does it say? Who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Now that that word there over you in the Lord. Uh, that's a word that speaks of leading. And it's one of the primary roles of a pastor, and that is to shepherd. Okay? Now, any shepherds in here tonight, or this morning, in here this morning? Boy, it's not night, is it? In here this morning. Any shepherds, okay? No, not a whole lot of vocational shepherds nowadays, okay? All right? Uh, if, if you're a shepherd, guess what you do? Is you, you, uh, you, you tend to sheep we think of this psalm that comes to mind the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down beside still waters he leads me to green pastures i just butchered it but y'all know what i mean and so we, we we see that what does the shepherd do he makes sure that the sheep are fed and well watered so that they have everything that they need for life. So we see this, this, this leading is, is this shepherding. Uh, it, it, it's it's to, uh, to, to lead. It's a role of pastor elders. Pastor, that word, uh, elders it's in the local church, those who lead, cast vision, so forth. So, as I think about this, I, I, I was kind of working through this and seeing how vital that word lead is uh, to be over you, someone to shepherd you. And I thought of John 10 because that verse had a, that, that verse 11, John chapter 10, verse 11, uh, that has a lot to do in my thinking about being a pastor. Uh, it always has. I mean, when I was in Bible college, I was going through pastoral ministry, and I was going through all these classes. And it was one of my preaching classes where we had to look at this and kind of pull it apart and think about it. And uh, our professor just pointed to this and said, get, said, Guys, this, what he says, is the model of what you need to be and what your ministry is. And so I read it, and I thought about it. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, and certainly Jesus did. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. 
Man, he gives these two roles. He gives the role of a shepherd and the role of a hired hand. A hired hand just does whatever needs to be done to take care of it. Hey, I'm, they're usually pretty busy people. They're usually the people that are running around trying to take care of every little detail. Okay? What does a good shepherd do? He leads them beside still waters. He leads them to green pastures so that they can lay down and they can feed and they can eat. Shepherd go up to the sheep. Hey, is that good grass? No, he doesn't do that. He sits back and he watches over them. You don't know what he's looking for? Wolves. Wolves. He's looking for wolves. That's what he says. He says, man, when the wolf comes, guess what? Hired hand flees. Shepherd's there. You know what you don't do with a wolf if you're a shepherd? Negotiate. Don't negotiate. What do you do with a wolf? Hey, wolf, hey, can you go over to this other pasture? No, you kill the wolf. Guarding the church is hard work. And one thing that you do is you lead the people. How do you do that? You do that with the word of God. All right? Here's the truth. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. And you're measuring everything against the word of God. All of it. You teach the people. And so he's saying, listen to your leaders. They're watching over your soul. They're teaching you. They're leading you. A Christian's life is to follow the description given in Scripture. Y'all know what that is? Uh, a holy life. A holy life. As Christians, we're to lead a holy life. And the role of church leaders is to lead uh, down that path of holiness. And that's following after the Word of God. But also it says not only do they lead you, but they also admonish you. Admonish. That's a word. Use that word this week. Hey, let me admonish you. Okay? Use that word this week. Here's what the word means. To pick up the Word of God and to instruct in the way to go. All right? Not just, here's my opinion, but listen to the Word of God. This is the way to go. You see, the role of a, of a preacher, a teacher, a pastor, a, a, an elder, a leader in the church is to say, this is the way to go. How do you know? It says right here in the Word of God. Amen. And so that's what, we, that's, that's what we see. So Paul's saying, man, if there's going to be good community in the church, have leaders that love the Word of God. But not only that, listen to them. Talk to them. Ask questions of them. They're overlooking and looking after and guarding your soul. So if there's going to be community of the local church, respect and love your elders. Have affection for them. Have affection for the leaders in your church. Esteem them very highly in love because of the work that they do. Secondly, Paul encourages us to relate well to one another. Look at the end of verse 13. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, in looking at this, I started breaking it down, and I thought, you know what? We could, uh, we could actually have a 10-point sermon here, but I didn't do that, you know? I, I mashed it all into three. 
But there's about 10 things in here that uh, you could really flesh out in a, in a number of ways. But I want you to see the importance and what he is trying to get us to understand uh, with, uh, with this. And th namely, it's to relate well to one another. And the first thing is there be at peace among yourselves. Let there be peace among you. All right? There need to be uh, a lot of... Uh, 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 tattling, a lot of backbiting and things like that. But instead, be at peace with one another. Walk together in love and the peace that Jesus Christ has given. This is the, he, he's laying out and he's putting forward the attitude we are to have and the position from which admonition flows and the goal we are all aiming for is peace. All right? Peace among the brothers and sisters in Christ. We want that. We want that. And so we want to uh, have this particular uh, uh, aroma about us. This is a people of peace. They love the Lord. And they have peace with one another. Well, I, I want us to go through each one of these things. To be at peace is one. And then it says to admonish the idol. To encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak, and be patient with them all. Let me just break each one of those down so that we can see how important it is to relate well to one another, even the different ones, okay? When I say that, I mean that we all have different places that we're living right now. Some people are just on top of the world. Some of y'all out there, okay, y'all smile just like that. You know, I mean, I see you, you just, everything's good in life, you know. Everything's going through. You, you just came out of something, but now everything's awesome, okay. And then there's some people that are struggling, you know. It's kind of like, man, I just can't get my prayer life right or something like that. There's other people that are just down. You ever get there? Just down. Just broken and I can't get up. Paul's laying out and said there's different, different people in different stations of life that need our help. They're in this congregation and every congregation. And so what does he say? He says, listen, admonish the idol. Now the idleness that he's talking about probably flows out of uh, the content of this letter, and particularly uh, in the area where he tells people to, uh, to, to work with your hands. You see, Paul had said the Lord is coming, and now there's some people in the church that have stopped working perhaps, and they've just said, we're just going to kick back and wait on the Lord. Well, what that's caused is it's caused a disruption in the body of Christ because now uh, the people who are still working are having to take care of these people who aren't. And so he's saying, admonish the idol, the ones that are just sitting back and waiting for Jesus to come. Let everybody else take care of them. No, work is a good thing. And so there's that word again. Look at it, admonish. So what do we do in that case? Someone's idle. They're not working. They're not taking care of their bills. They're not taking care of their, their, their business. Well, you pick up the word of God and say, it says right here, work with your hands. It also says in another place, the man who will not work should not eat. 
Sounds like a good reason to work, right? Admonish the idle. And we do that from a, from a heart where we want to have peace and we want to show love. Because this is the best thing. We want you to obey the word of God. So admonish the idol. God's word says work. So work. Find the work you need to do. So next it says this. It says encourage the faint hearted. Encourage the faint hearted. Who are the faint hearted? What does it mean to encourage them? Certainly it is to come alongside them and to build them up for the purpose of Christ. The word faint-hearted is also translated in some places, losing heart. Okay? Paul said that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We do not lose heart. He said it twice in that chapter. We do not lose heart. Very much those who lose heart are those who are discouraged and, uh, uh, and they're brought low. Uh, have y'all ever been excited about doing something? Maybe it was building a, a, a little, little house or something. Maybe it was building something with your own hands. I remember as a little kid, it was RA uh, outing, okay? Royal Ambassador. Some people know about that. And we had this little RA outing, and we slept outside in tents. And we got up early the next morning, and we built a fire. And, man, my mama had packed me an iron skillet. <laughs> I laugh about it every time. She had put in my little pack an iron skillet. Folks, I'm not talking about one of the little bitty iron skillets. I'm talking about an iron skillet you fry some chicken in, okay? And, and she packed that and some pancake batter. I cooked myself a pancake that was about the size of a large pizza, okay? I ate it all too, thank you very much. But I cooked that thing over that fire. Man, I was well pleased with myself, okay? I didn't make a bunch of little bitty pancakes. I made a man cake, okay? I was happy. But then we had this time where we were to build something. And we had the plans and everything, had all the materials. And we were going to build a kite. And man, I got all those sticks together and I got to looking and I didn't understand. I didn't understand the instructions and I was working and I was working at that and I was trying to put these sticks together. I didn't understand how to put them together. I didn't understand how to get the paper on it. I didn't understand. An RA leader, Mr. Garrison, I still remember his name. The guy, he looked like he was six foot eight, but he was probably about five foot eight, but I was little. All right. And he came over there and he says, Ricky, what's going on? Yeah, they called me Ricky then. Ricky, what's going on? I said, I, I don't know how to do it. I had tears running down my face. He said, that's okay. Let me show you. And he began to help me. I mean, all those little boys there over doing it. And he began to help me and putting that thing together. And there I was faint-hearted. But in about 20 minutes, Ricky Dees was flying a kite that he had put together. Because somebody had come alongside me and helped me do what I wanted to get done. Well, folks, all of us as believers in Jesus Christ want to be like Jesus. That's a high goal. And we need people alongside us to come along and see us struggling and say, Hey, here, let me help you. 
Let me help you in prayer. Let me help you in the word of God. Let me walk with you. Let me stand with you. We all need that. Encourage the faint hearted. That's not something you do from a distance. That's something that you do up close and personal. Next we see uh, that we are to help the weak. We are to help the weak. It's an interesting little phrase there. How do we help and who are the weak? That's the question you have to answer with that one little phrase. How can we help and who are the weak? Well, first of all, let me uh, say that the word help here means to cleave to. It can also mean to resist. Seems weird, doesn't it? But in this particular way, we see both of these things taking place. How long do you help the weak? Until they grow strong. You don't keep helping the weak if they're strong because they're not the weak anymore. Now they're strong. What we're wanting to do is we're wanting to help people walk and stand on their own. All right? That's what we want. I mean, as a pastor... Man, I, I love you, and I love sitting down with you with the Word of God and, and all those things. I love spending time with you when, when that's uh, possible and so forth. But there comes a time when it's like, you know what? I, I'm not an enabler. I'm the pastor. I'm this leader who wants to put you in this place. And that's what you are to one another. Yes, there are times when you're friends, but there's also times when you're coming along and you're just moving them up. And you're helping them help the weak. So what we see is we see uh, this process of, of help. All right? This guy, Mr. Garrison, when he came to help me, man, he, he put the first few pieces together. But then I put the rest of it together. He didn't enable me to give up. He taught me how to press on. The weak in this are those who are either physically weak or they could be spiritually weak. It could be either one of those things. But what it does is it shows the process of someone coming alongside and helping someone grow strong and to move them in that direction. As close as this, this, this help is up close and personal, but it's also temporary. I mean, if you, we know what this is implying. Help the weak. Help them to what? Help them to get strong. Man, if you're, if you're with them, helping them get strong for the rest of their life, You're not doing a very good job of making them strong. The aim is to teach them and help them to grow. And so he says, help the weak. The help tapers off as the weak become strong. Do we stay in relationship with them? Of course we do. Of course we do. We have a friendship. And most often this occurs because a relationship has been built and established. But we want everyone to be 
not dependent upon us. Okay? I don't want you to be dependent upon me. You know, as a leader, as a church member, man, our task should be, let me teach you. Now go teach somebody else. Now go teach somebody else. I don't want people just sitting under me just just gobbling up groceries. Man, I want you to go out there and learn how to grow some food. You know, teach them. And so that's, that's what we see. We don't want to build people that are dependent upon us for truth. Here's truth. Let me show you how to use it. And then go tell it to others. Teach it to others. Help them to grow in Christ. Help the weak. Then he goes, be patient with them all. Really, Paul? I mean, you laid out all the patience. Really? Yeah, be patient. Let me tell you something. The faint-hearted do not become unfaint-hearted in a moment. You're not going to speak one word to them and all's going to be well. The weak, man, that's not going to happen in a heartbeat or in a weekend retreat. You're going to have to walk over time to help the weak. The idle, they're not just going to just jump up and say, well, you're right. No, you're going to have to spend time with them. All of this requires patience and waiting. One, on the Lord to speak into their heart the truth of the Word of God. And two, for them to say, I'm getting up and I'm going to go do and be what God has created me to be. Be patient with everyone. So how do we uh, build and Create and maintain the community of the local church. First, respect and love your leaders. Second, relate well to one another, even those who are going through different things than you are. And thirdly, raise the standard of your response to hurt. Look there at verse 15. See that no one repays evil, anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. And to everyone. Don't repay evil for evil. That's what he says. But that's our natural inclination, isn't it? I mean, our natural inclination is you hurt me, I hurt you back. You hit me, I hit you back. That's the natural inclination of the human soul and heart and nature. But he's saying act against your nature. Don't repay evil for evil, but instead, he says, uh, look with me at verse 15, uh, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Can I say that this way? Don't repay evil for evil. Instead, forgive. 
Can I say it that way? Instead, forgive. Forgiveness is hard. Anybody? (laughs) Forgiveness is hard for us. It's hard. And then it costs Jesus Christ his life. He had to be the propitiation for us. But for us on a horizontal plane to forgive one another, that can be hard. If you've been hurt deeply, how long did it take you to get past? Not past it, but to forgive. Forgiveness is hard. And it's perhaps the pinnacle of Christian living. To be able to forgive someone who has hurt you, who has sinned against you. It's perhaps the pinnacle of Christian living. I say that because it was on the cross that Jesus said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Or even Stephen, when they were stoning him. Lord, don't hold this to their account. Don't put this on their account. Forgiveness is a very, very hard thing to do. But it's necessary. Forgiveness is characteristic of one who is in Christ Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, or Matthew, he, uh, right after the Lord's Prayer, if you don't forgive those who sin against you, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. He's not saying that your forgiveness is contingent upon you forgiving someone else. He's saying the forgiveness of God brings about your capacity and your willingness to forgive others. That's why I say it's the pinnacle of Christian living. And do y'all know what comes in front of forgiveness every single time? You know how you forgive someone? I, I'm not going to go through the, any whole big thing. But let me tell you what is out in front of forgiveness always. Love. Love. Love precedes forgiveness. How do we know that God loves us? He demonstrated His love in this way. Jesus Christ went to the cross. Love is out in front of forgiveness. Man, you got to pray for that one. How do you respond to them? With good. That doesn't mean you become buddy-buddy with somebody that hurt you. But you also... Maintain and respond with good things. Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. I don't think I read that earlier. I just said to one another. Everyone brings in everyone. Namely, he's talking about the body of Christ up until that word. 
And he's saying, do good to everyone. Everyone in the body of Christ and everyone outside the body of Christ. Do good to them. Do good. They may not like you. They may despise what you believe. But do good to them. Do good to them. By this, you demonstrate that you are a child of God. But also, you create and maintain the community of the local church. When we respect and love those who labor among you. When you relate well to one another. And when you raise that standard of your response to hurt and sin against you. Man, that brings a body of Christ together. It puts us in a place where we can share those things. Say, man, I got this thing. I got this burden in my heart. This, this dude, he said this or he did this or whatever. And man, I just, I, 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 I don't want anything to do with him. I, I see him and my heart boils. Well, come here, brother. Let me pray with you. Now you're helping the weak. Man, I just got news today that my job performance wasn't good enough and they're laying me off. Come here. God's got a plan for you. Let me pray for you. Let me help you. Now what are you doing? You're encouraging the faint-hearted. We build one another up. Why do we do that? Number one, Jesus Christ has changed us. And number two, we love one another. Man, I see it in you all the time. I love as a pastor that I can look out, not just here, but I can see and I can listen to testimony and I know, man, these people love each other. They're helping one another and they're praying for one another. And church, I love you for that. I love that I can see that in you. I don't even have to think about it hardly. It's kind of like, look at this. Look at these people. So can I encourage you to do something that Paul encourages the Thessalonian church to do? What I just spoke, seeing you love each other, care for one another, hunger for the word of God with one another, can I say this to you? Do this more and more. Okay? Do it more and more. To where each of our hearts just continue to rise in love for Jesus Christ. And adoration for Him. Do this more and more. It's that community of the local church that continues to urge each one of us on to know Him and to love Him more. And that uh, produces continuous love for one another. And our worship is sweeter, and our relationships are sweeter, and our hope is greater, and it's built up. And in our anticipation of the coming of the Lord, we do it together. So love one another, encourage one another, build one another up, help one another along. Continue to be the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for the ways, Lord, that you teach us and train us and help us. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to to help us, Lord, to understand your word, to be encouraged by it, to be strengthened by it. And, Father, in every way, Lord, for you uh, to be glorified, Lord, in this body of Christ and in each one of us. God, we pray, Lord, that you would be our help in everything. And, Father, we thank you for one another. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you have taught us how to love. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing a mighty fortress. And this will conclude our worship service.